You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-hosts today, Jen Wilkin and JT English. On today's episode, we are also joined by Jeff Metters. Jeff is pastor of preaching and theology at Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. He's the author of the brand new book, Humble Calvinism. We have a great time talking with Jeff about his book, Humble Calvinism, why he wrote it, what the book says, and we just really want to encourage you. If this is a topic you're interested in, we think Jeff's book is a great introduction to Calvinism and particularly to what we think is a really generous expression of Calvinism. If if you don't know anything about Calvinism, we think the podcast might be helpful in figuring out a little bit about what Calvinism is. Listen, we really hope that you're enjoying the podcast and we really love interacting with our audience. And so if you want to jump onto the hashtag Knowing Faith Podcast, we're using that on Instagram and on Twitter. And if you want to tag your post, hashtag Knowing Faith Podcast, we would love to jump into the conversation that you're having with other audience members of Knowing Faith. Enjoy the discussion. All right, Jeff, um, are the Rockets going to the championship this year? You know, when the season started, I was super skeptical. It was very, really, really rocky, scary. But now, I mean, where we sit today. Third place in the West. Third place in the West. Your Behind Nuggets. Behind Denver Nuggets. I know. Ugh. For the time being. But, yeah, we could go over the Nuggets, Rockets. Could happen. You know. We have one more matchup this year. I'm guessing by the time this airs, will they know the outcome? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. Uh, this will air. Oh, wow. Close. We're figuring it out. Somebody's like, oh, are they going to win the championship? <laughs> no. They just got knocked no. out of the playoffs. Uh, this will come out in uh, April 11th. So, okay. no. no. Yeah. But God knows. We're talking about Calvinism. Mm-hmm. That's right. Perfect. It's, it's in his hands. It's in his hands. It's in his hands. But we're going to still actively pray. That's right. Right. Yeah. We're going to pray hardcore. And here, here's what I'm really worried about yep. is I have my sabbatical this summer. And the first week of sabbatical, uh, we're going to be at the Pine Cove Family Camp in South Carolina okay. where there's no TV, no internet. Your phone <laughs> doesn't work. That's the first week of the NBA finals. Yep. It's a bad decision. <laughs> My wife and I were looking at the schedule last night. She goes, what are we going to do? Now, is she a fan too? Like, Oh, she's more hardcore than me. Oh, really? She doesn't wear hardens every day like I do, but she's <laughs> she's in it. She'll text me updates. Did you hear what Coach D'Antoni said? Mm. Did you see that clip from Chris Paul? I mean, she's... That's awesome. Yeah, it's Committed. amazing. That's awesome. Yep. Do you guys ever have debates about like, you're like, oh man, like I feel like this player is really underrated. We're ta- for those who don't know, we're talking about the Houston Rockets That's right. in the NBA. The National Basketball Association, mm-hmm. Leather Ball. Yeah. Goes through a cylinder. Yeah. yeah. You guys ever have debates in your house where you're like, "Wow, I really feel like man, they should be throwing it to Clint Capella more down low." No, you know we're we're bought into the system. No okay. mid range. Let's get threes and layups, and we're all you know hardened MVP through yeah. and through. There's like a there's like 20 people that have been listening to this podcast who are NBA <laughs> fans, and they're like, "I have been waiting finally. for more basketball theology talk, and it's here. It's here finally. Yeah, it's here. We need more. You need a spinoff basketball podcast. That'd be great. What would we call it? Um, if it was like a Christian basketball podcast, let's go. Best title for a Christian basketball Oh, oh I got it. I got yeah. it. Swishers of Men. Oh, oh my gosh. Wait, do you no. run a Swishers of Men I, podcast? I do not, but I, I need to divulge the, why that came so quickly. Okay. There's also Holy Ankle Rollers. That's another one you can do as well. <laughs> okay, great. We had a church league basketball team. Okay. And that was our name. Swishers, Swishers of, men. of Men. That would be, that's it. We were undefeated yep. in losing. Okay. <laughs> So not effective. We lost every game that, right. that season. It was brutal. Yeah. And at the end, they said, not well done, my bad and unfaithful servants. Jump shooter. Yeah. Perfect. Look at that. We're just dropping bombs. If Boom. somebody was like, listen, if you want Swishers of Men as your podcast handle, we're, can we give that away right yeah, now, Yeah, I, I fully give permission to that license. How, how did we survive that whole podcast on baptism without any dunking metaphor? Oh, I know. I feel like that was a miss. Yeah. We were just in a different frame of mind. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a miss though, or a brick, or a brick. They go. I'm, I'm on it now. <laughs> <laughs> Here comes the magic. Yep. Um, okay, Jeff, tell us a little bit about. It. So today we're joined by Jeff Metters, uh, pastor of preaching and theology at Redeemer Church Tomball. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Jeff. Yeah, I'm, so you? I'm I'm from Texas, born in Houston. Have never left the Houston area. Uh, I love it, despite the humidity and the mosquitoes. I do find it keeps your skin fresh. So there's lots of bonus, you know, to the yeah. to the great humidity there. Yeah, uh, married. Okay. We've got two kids. Married in Alley for 12 years now, and we've got two kiddos, 10 and five. 
and love being a part of Redeemer, also part of Acts 29 and, and able to serve here uh, as well in those capacities with preaching assessments and trainings and all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, you actually did. That's you right. did the preaching assessment for my Acts 29 That's right. I was really nervous. Is Kyle a good preacher? How did he oh, do? Kyle's, oh, Kyle's a great preacher. <laughs> Let's Absolutely. not talk about that. Kyle was a great preacher. But there is a, told, I told them about a story. And offline, because it's not a great, okay. it's not a great podcast story. But we're, we, do do not walk out of this bay without us telling this okay. story. Yeah, we can do I, it. We're gonna circle back to. It. Sorry, audience, you're just like wow. I want to hear that story. Next conversation. I think they're yeah. fine with it. Uh, <laughs> they probably are. Like they're not as bought in as I think they are right now. I know now. we can't do a lot of this story now, but Jeff and I got to get lunch. I guess it was last summer now. Yeah. And got to hear kind of the story of how the Lord got you to that church. Oh man. Your yeah. story of, of kind of some ministry training, growing up as a young man in the faith, but also pastoring a church. And it's an incredible story of God's kindness, sovereignty, yeah, perseverance in ministry in the midst of tough situations. So man, just commend you for the work the Lord's doing. The church is healthy. Mm. It's beautiful. I mean, it just seems like the Lord has really blessed the work uh, that he's given you. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Praise God. It's, uh, it is a story of grace for sure. I was 22 years old, I think when our church started and it was dying, um, within a couple of years and I was a part of the, ro- the kind of rotating preaching team and no one else wanted to become the lead pastor, preaching pastor, whatever. And the church was about maybe 200 it had gotten to 400 at some point, but it wasn't really a church. It was a Bible study with childcare. On Sunday mornings, there was no membership, no elders, deacons. We had music and some decent preaching. But as the church went on, started to die, I just felt like I want to put my name out there to be the lead pastor. And they looked at me and said, not happening. You just keep preaching, but we don't want you to lead. You're too young. You don't have any leadership skills. You haven't finished seminary. It's, it's not happening. And I thought, okay, it's over. But my wife said, no, keep going. I, I do think it's going to happen. And I know y'all been going through the Samuels mm-hmm. and another brother in X29. Uh, he was trying to recruit me to join him. And I told him what was going on at, Re- at Redeemer. And he said, you know what? Who cares if that hiring team doesn't think you're going to be the guy? Because do you remember when David was anointed king? His own father didn't think <laughs> that he could be the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if they don't think you're the guy, who cares? If God wants you to be the pastor there, it'll happen. Hmm. And it was, man, it was really profound and encouraging, you know, a little loose application, but whatever, you know, it's okay. And, uh, 25 years old, I became the lead pastor of Redeemer. Um, immediately the church grew from 200 to 60. And <laughs> lost, We've all been a part of this. Before. Yeah. Lost lots, you know, the lost lots of people who have been married longer than I'd been alive, which, mm-hmm. which I get, I, I understand. And God sent us through a great season of suffering and questioning and crying in my car by myself and all, all kinds of stuff. And now here we are 10 years later, uh, planting churches, thriving, uh, raising money for our building and seeing lots of people get saved and lives change. So it's, and here we are sitting here. So it's Praise the Lord, man. Yeah, it's a pinnacle of my ministry life to be here with you guys now. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sitting well, next to Jen Wilkin. I said that every day I've um, come to work with Let's Jen. talk about how you trolled me on social media. Oh, I was worried that might come up today. <laughs> I genuinely was. The you, ball caps? No one else has trolled me about this podcast. Now it will be really? open season, probably. Mm. Yeah. Well, I was completely thrown off. You said, just for our listeners who, who missed Jeff's public critique of my... Uh, well, uh, public's strong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, uh, using the term ball cap is not what the youngins are saying these days. No, <laughs> definitely not. But I don't understand how if you just call it a hat, how do we know what kind of hat you mean? Well, hat is the default. But a hat could else. be, it could be a cowboy hat. Mm-hmm. It could no, be you say cowboy hat if it's a cowboy a hat. hat. you wear for skiing. You say it's, uh, what do you call ski hat? A ski like hat. A, you call yeah. it a ski <laughs> hat. Yeah. See, everything else has, but a, ball, a cap or ball cap, it sounds like you're in the parlor room cracking up the gramophone, getting ready. To, you know. I, I told Jeff, we, Jeff and I had like this super long conversation, Jeff Wilkin and I had this super long conversation about it where I was like, we're just we're going to get old. We're not even going to know when it happened. People are like, he'll mock me to my face, but what about the people who are just going to mock right. me behind my back? Yeah. So that doesn't yeah. happen. Who's going to wipe <laughs> the drool off my chin? <laughs> yeah. So ball caps. Ball caps. Yeah, don't Never say ball caps. You, no, you're, you're not going to stick with it? No. Okay. I'm wounded. Yeah, I get it. So it was a faithful of the wounds of a friend. Okay. It was a productive, oh, okay. productive tweet. Okay. Yeah, well, let's jump in. Let's yeah, give you friend. some wounding, friend. 
Let's do it. Let's do it, please. About your book, so, friend. So, so Jeff is not only a pastor, Did but... you know you were the uh, Amazon reviews? Uh, unfortunately, I am <laughs> for my first book. Not, not so Je- Jeff is not only a pastor, he has also written... You've written, I think, at least three books I can think of. Yeah, three. Um, Ghost written about 100, but yeah. <laughs> no, just three. Yeah, just three. Yeah, okay. It's not funny yet. Uh, and the most recent one, <laughs> the most recent one is entitled Humble Calvinism. Yeah. Okay, why did you write this book? Um, I can't well, imagine a reason. I've never yeah. met. Why would you write well, that book? Yeah, yeah. I've never, I've never met somebody. Well, it like is uh, fiction it, uh, <laughs> that I've dived into. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're been familiar with Calvinism, mainly the five points uh, of Calvinism, is that oftentimes Calvinists can be a little cranky. Um, maybe we've all gone through what's been known as the the cage stage, where you get overly aggressive with Calvinism. And that's all you want to talk about. That's the lens you see everything through. And that's kind of the, the plumb line of fellowship with others, how they hold the five points and stuff like that. And it just shouldn't be that way. And I, obviously, I love the five points of Calvinism. Um, I love what they teach. I love what they show us. But I hate the culture that surrounds it. Um, it's very unbiblical. Um, it doesn't embody the fruits of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. It doesn't embody Christ-likeness. Yeah. And that's problematic. Um, one, because that, that's not Christianity. Right. And so I wanted to try to rediscover the five points in light of Christ's likeness, in light of what the points are to really show. Because I think if we really understand the doctrines of grace, they should be making us gracious people yeah. and not contentious. And they should be disarming us yeah. instead of arming us towards one another. So when that idea kind of came about, um, talked to my agent, talked to a couple of the people and I think I usually talk to you, JT. Yeah, I think yeah, I think I even sent you Jen a, yeah. a prelim email about it. like, what do you think about this? Yep. And everyone's encouragement back was yes, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Do this, and so yeah, here we are. That's well, cr- and one of the things that you talk about, you you do a little work on like how did we get here? Like what yeah. what has brought about this kind of articulation of or or expression of of. Um, of, of this corner of, of evangelicalism, what are some of the factors that you think have contributed to this being the case? To, to the to the crankiness Yeah, the of crankiness. It? Yeah. The I non-humble think, Calvinism. Right, why is there non-humble Calvinism? Yeah, that's kind of the running joke for the book is it's an oxymoron. Right. And <laughs> that's what I address in chapter two, like why this shouldn't be an oxymoron. Mm-hmm. And so why, why is there this disconnect between these two things? And I think the first one is because of the first point of Calvinism, because of total depravity. Mm is that, you know, that great line from a few good men, uh, I'll spin it a little, the, you can't handle the truth. Mm-hmm. Well, we spin it now, okay, we can't handle the truth. And when we learn truth, whether that's about Calvinism or whether that's about um, who should be the MVP this season in the league, we can get fired up yep. um, if people don't agree with us. Mm-hmm. I think when we try to find, when there's misplaced identity mm-hmm. in Calvinism rather than Christ, your theological universe gets off kilter. Mm-hmm. Um, as y'all talk so much about union with Christ, if we over-identify with reformed culture and find joy, too much joy, in reformed culture and in theology and doctrine right. and not Christ himself, mm-hmm. who is who says what? Come and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. Mm-hmm. If, so if Christ gets disconnected from that, then we get what's classically the cranky, agitated, grumpy, arrogant, argumentative Calvinist. That's really just a Pharisee with a with a fresh coat of paint. Yeah, and maybe let's pause here because there might be a listener who's like, okay, we're talking about cranky Calvinism and I hear these points, but I don't know what this is at all. It's like, what is Calvinism? Yeah. And uh, why does it matter? Well, here's, here's what I know. I know you both and Jen too, y'all can answer this question better than I could. Um, well, don't worry. We'll correct you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, We're all caps. Book, all caps. Yeah, 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 yeah like, like the wounds of a friend. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so th- the book does not address wide-ranging right. Calvinism. Right. It's much bigger um, things about ecclesiology and all that kind of stuff involved, modes of baptism, whatever. Um, so like there's some people who would identify as Calvinism as a much broader yes. tradition, yeah. sure. which is grander than the doctrine of salvation. Right. Yeah, this is just focusing on soteriology. Yeah. The, what's classically the five points of Calvinism. Give those to us real quick. Okay, so the popular acronym is TULIP. Yep. And what's important to know, and I go through this uh, in a little interlude in the book, Calvin did not invent these five points. Um, and he did not invent the acronym. And we know that just simply, if you think about it, for two reasons. One, 
Calvin did not speak English. Right. <laughs> he, he, he spoke French. And number two, acronyms were not all the rage in Geneva or in France in the 1500s like they are today. Among yeah. Baptists. Among Baptists right. that, in the and, 90s. That and yes, yes to both those. But then Calvin's thought wasn't systematized and synthesized this right. way until Dort. Yeah. Correct. Right. And then Westminster yeah. crystallizes that. Yes. And, and the points were really responses to the remonstrance. Exactly. Which is a, yeah. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, you nailed it. They, they're responding so the... The, the people that followed, you know, the Arminians, they had some disagreements with the Church of Holland. They put some points out. Here's our points of contention. The response back, synthesized down into those five points um, of total depravity being the first one. Yeah. That we are complete sinners. So I think total depravity goes in, in, in two ways. One, total that the whole person. So me individually, there, I am wicked. Yeah. I'm not kind of good. I'm not partially good. And I just need a nudge in the right direction, but I am wicked down to my core yep. and I cannot do anything to earn salvation. Okay. So that's the first to- sense of total depravity. Second one is you go from now like wide angle, every person, every tribe, language, race, nation, all time since the fall, we're all wicked. So we don't just need a nudge. I mean, we have, we're, we're corrupt all the way deep down. The next one is unconditional election. So before the foundation of the world, God decided he chose who would be saved in Christ. Next one, limited atonement. Nothing controversial about limited atonement. We can just <laughs> keep keep going on. <laughs> um, just for the record, maybe oh, the most maybe the most controversial. If you're listening, if you're listening, you might be like, oh, okay, great. Uh, no, it's the most controversial. Most controversial. Sure. Yeah, what's fascinating about limited atonement is that it's controversial among Calvinists, not just with Arminians, right. but but among Calvinists. Um, and I think with that, we should be incredibly gracious with one another. And I am a huge, huge advocate for not using the term limited atonement. Mm-hmm. Um, particular redemption. Yeah. Uh, particular redemption, definite atonement. Mm-hmm. Do y'all have favorite uh, terms I, for it I, instead? Particular redemption is the one that you I like think. that one? Yep. I, yeah, but like two pip doesn't roll off the no. tongue. <laughs> two dip doesn't roll off the tongue no. either. If you go definite atonement. You've got a better acronym for Texas. We'll come back to it okay. at the end. I want to save it. Yeah, right, let's do that. Okay. Um, yeah, so limited atonement is, is teaching that Jesus' death um, actually purchased salvation for people. Accomplished it. Accomplished it. Didn't just make it possible. And so it's a, it's a the reason I don't like the phrase limited atonement is because it starts out often and is taught in a way of, here's who Jesus didn't die for. Mm-hmm. And that is not the heart of the Bible. Right. It almost sounds like it's mm-hmm. insufficient. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. it's lacking something. Right. Yeah, that is, that is not the heart of Christ. Mm-hmm. It's not the heart stingy. of the gospel. Mm-hmm. You're right. And I, when we start off a conversation with theology that's from a negative posture, it will often result in negative and uh, kind of contentious conversations. And so we got to talk about the atonement of Christ. And here's what Jesus did. Here's what he accomplished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, next one, I is irresistible grace. So how are we saved if we are dead in our sins? How do we get to the point to where we have faith in Christ? And this is the teaching that the Father and the Spirit and the Son, through the work of the triune Godhead, through the message of the gospel, is revealed to us. And he changes our will and he draws us to himself, John 6. And that, that's how we're, no one comes to Christ kicking and screaming. Yep. Um, no one comes to Christ against their will. Yep. Um, their will's changed and yep. they're drawn to mm-hmm. Christ. And then the last one, perseverance of the saints. You could call it once saved, always saved. I know that's a, that's a great um, kind of minimization of what it is actually teaching. Mm-hmm. It's teaching a lot more than that, mm-hmm. but it is you cannot lose your salvation. Because you couldn't gain it. Couldn't gain it. And if you could lose it, we would have lost it the first day right, when right. we profess faith. So that's the five points of Calvinism. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, I, you know, you often hear this and well, just one note, like Calvinism is not Christianity. Right. Right. But it is a faithful expression. Like yeah. the tent is bigger. I just want to say that at the, like the front yeah. end of this, Absolutely. that like, um, there are some who find this to be a helpful theological paradigm that's faithful to scripture's witness, but there are many people who would not identify as Calvinist or Calvinistic or reformed who hold faithful Christian, uh, faith and practice. Yeah. So maybe a way to think of that. I've heard, uh, this is kind of a big term or a, a phrase theological triage. It's almost like if uh, you think of triage going into an emergency room, if you have somebody who's coming in as a patient with a broken femur uh, and a hangnail and uh, a serious cut, those are three very different kind of stages of injury that need to be treated differently. This is one of those second or third order issues that should be talked about. It's, It's significant. It's not insignificant, but it's not 
biblical authority or Trinitarianism, the kind of bigger tent issues that right. we deal with regularly here. Yeah, because whenever I was in Bible college and seminary, you'd have guys who got jazzed up yeah. about talking through limited atonement and get, write 30-page papers, didn't know how to study their Bible, and mm-hmm. didn't know the classical doctrine of the Trinity. And you're like, so, well, the system has failed yes. these guys that miserably. Is, that, that is me. <laughs> that, that, that is my story that I talk about in this book. I grew up in a Reformed Baptist church that was intense theologically, uh, but not intense on loving one another. And I remember I walked into Bible college. I was not, fam- I, I could not have found David and Goliath when I walked into Bible college, <laughs> but I could argue Romans nine. Right. I had not read a gospel the entire way through, but I could argue Paul's train of thought in Romans nine. Yeah. And something just hit like, I am off base here. Mm-hmm. I, I call myself a Christian and I believe in Christ, but I do find more joy in Calvinism than I do in Christ. And I'm committing idolatry. Like right. this is, this is wrong. And so I, so that's a lot of the, I tell some of my story in the book and, and other stories like that. And people that when I was a jerk arguing about Calvinism that I wanted to, I need to go back. Will you please forgive me? Yeah. And asking people that I was a complete moron to you as we talked about these things. Um, and that's what we need as we even debate these points and yeah. talk about them um, in a loving, kind and, and gracious way. Cause it, that's the way of Christ is the way of right. Paul. Yeah. The aim of our instruction is love. I got I to gotta put in a little plug for Bible literacy here because you just teed it up right for me. Yeah, do it. Um, you're expressing that you knew doctrine and you didn't know the text. Oh. And um, I have a theory. <laughs> I have it. This JT's over there. I know. Like we're like we're mounting our, no, our counterpoint. I, here we go. No, I have a theory that um, if we increased in our, in our Bible literacy, if we knew the Bible better firsthand, the whole story, um, I think people think, oh, if we did that, we would all come to agreement on things like this. Mm. Um, and I actually don't think that. I think that we would continue to disagree. It might shape, it would definitely shape where we landed on the things that we were so sure of before we got closer to the text. But I actually think that it would increase our graciousness toward one another yeah. because we would also see the holes in our arguments yeah. more than we do. That's right. And um, so that's interesting to me it, that the further removed you are from the words in the text, the I think the more likely you are to move from graciousness to to lacking grace. I think that's really good. I actually, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And my experience, so it's a little bit different than yours, Jeff, but it has some similarities. It was actually uh, my kind of cage stage, uh, uh, you know, relationship with Calvinism. It looked really confident, but I was actually really fearful mm. because I knew what I didn't know. Does that make sense? Well, like I knew the portions often, of the Bible. Right. You're saying what someone else said as loudly yes. as you can. And so you, you, when you yell it, you're actually showing confidence in the people that interact with you might think, oh my goodness, that, that man or woman is really confident theologically. Mm-hmm. But the reality is I might be confident in one point, but I lack confidence right. in all other systems of doctrine or portions of the Bible. And, and I'm also aware of my unfamiliarity. So af- often when you're dealing with people who are coming across very confident, it's actually deep deep theological insecurity. Yeah, it's kind of like the, hey, let's talk about Calvinism because that's what I know. Exactly. <laughs> and, let's talk, and let's talk about it loudly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, I, I feel that personally. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but like why, somebody, um, I remember when my grandfather, um, he, he came to faith later in life. Okay. Uh, and got interested in, like, I remember I woke up one morning in, at my house and I was reading Grudem Systematic Theology. And I was like, wow. And he always was like, why are these labels? Why should I care about Calvinism? You know, why can't it just be like, I'm a Christian and I read the Bible. Why do we need all this other stuff? So, like, why should, like, okay, somebody might re- hear about humble Calvinism and be like, why do, I even, why do I even care? Why not just spend all my time reading the Bible? Why should I care about what Calvin thought? Why is there a whole group of people catalyzed by what John Calvin thought? Why do they even care? Yeah. They've got the inspired word of God. Isn't that all they need? So if somebody's like, okay, I understand Calvinism now. I understand that there's like really bad expressions because sometimes people are jerks. Uh, and maybe some of the tenets of Calvinism stoke some of those sin bents uh, inadvertently, not mm-hmm. because of mm-hmm. what they are intrinsically, but because of how the human heart receives it. Uh, but why even deal with that at all? Yeah. Yeah. I would tell that person, you are right. You do not need John Calvin. Right. You don't need to read Calvin's Institutes. Um, you do need to read my book. However, that's, <laughs> that is something. No, you, you don't need my book. You don't need, um, you don't need these things right. uh, outside of the scriptures. Sure. And so what any kind of th- faithful to God's word theological system is doing is organizing, teaching, and showing here's how we should understand what the Bible is teaching us. 
And so I'll say, yeah, don't get hung up on, on don't get hung up on terms and don't get hung up on tribes and camps. Um, be a Berean. And even the Bereans were examining Paul. So yeah, we're not saying we're Calvinists in that we believe everything Calvin teaches and we hold to what Calvin teaches. The terms and those things, those, uh, there's something Ray Ortland said once that was really profound as usual is he says, you know, God has not promised to bless the words Calvinism. Um, and in words that are like limited atonement, yeah. God has promised to bless words, election, predestination, words that are in the scriptures. And he, he really pushes for it. as much as we can, we should lean into the biblical terminology, the biblical language that, that we find uh, from book to book and use those confidently. But I, the reason why I, I think you should try to study these things and look into them is this is just another attempt at looking at what the scriptures are teaching and how you can easily understand and ingest some of these things that are very difficult, yeah. um, that are, take time and that men and women have spent decades studying to, to teach you how to understand and revel and enjoy. Here's how you were saved yeah. and here's how you can give glory to Christ uh, over these things. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. So what's the difference between humble Calvinism and like good old fashioned Calvinism or That's like right. angry Calvinism or theological well, street fighting yeah, and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Well, and something our listeners might benefit from is like, why this topic now? Right. I mean, wasn't Calvin a French reformer in the 1600s? Like, but there's been this massive movement among kind of evangelical theology. Can you explain a little bit of that to us over the last 10, 15 years? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to trace kind of how the popularization of Calvinism again. Uh, Colin Hansen wrote an article in yep. a book That's about it. Yeah, the Young, Restless, and Reformed. The why it's it's popular again. Mm-hmm. And and Matt Chandler, I mean, he's been a big a big part of that resurgence, as well. The Gospel Coalition, Tim Keller, mm-hmm. um, John Piper, R.C. Sproul, uh, Christian hip hop, Reformed hip hop, yep. early on guys yep. like Lecrae and, and Triple E. But then also um, you have other organizations around the world where there's been a resurgence. The Contumba Convention in Australia mm-hmm. and the uh, GAFCON. Uh, there with the Anglicans, and there's just been a there's been a, Acts 29, Acts 29, United States, yeah, and it's inter- been now huge. internationally, You're right? Yeah, it's been massive, and so we want to recover these teachings, mm-hmm. but at the same time, we want to jettison the arrogance that that comes with it and that, that has been around with it. Was it a reaction to anything that was going on in evangelicalism beforehand? So, you think of like in the 90s, you might have had like these kind of overtly seeker-sensitive movements or kind Mm. of generic theology, generic Christianity. And then you have these young men and women coming to faith and realizing this isn't describing my experience of me, perhaps total depravity, or my experience of Jesus' love for me, perhaps irresistible grace. Yeah, I mean, I I have a thought on it. Um, Yeah, do it. So I think that one of the things that happened right around the turn of the millennium is that there began to be this disillusionment with, um, you see a couple of things, and I don't think that it's coincidental that they start growing uh, in really high volumes around the same time. Um, in In the last gosh, 30 years, 20 years, there has been a resurgence of Reformed theology among Christians in the global West. Mm -hmm. But there has also been a resurgence of interest in Islam. And I think that one of the things that happened there was that people had been told that God really did not want much from them at all 
especially in Christian churches. Like he just wanted a little bit from you, Mm -hmm. just kind of like, you know, there was a sense of like, yeah, you know, you can just kind of be everything you want to be and then stamp God on that Mm -hmm. and you'll be cool with that. Uh, But then there began to be, I think, a disillusionment with what that is. I think people really wanted to give give their life away for something something that like matters and that like was all encompassing. And I don't think that there's any surprise that two of the like religiously speaking, two of the largest global movements, the third would be Pentecostalism, but three of the largest theological movements that are happening around the world are all kind of religious expressions of God saying, or uh, essentially of people saying, God demands everything. Oh, right? yeah. mm-hmm. God wants my whole I never life. thought of it like that. Now, they that. play out differently. I yeah. mean, certainly Pentecostalism and Islam have played out very differently <laughs> yeah. on a global scale, but they are all three faith traditions that have been spreading like wildfire uh, or theological movements that have been spreading like wildfire because of, I think, this sense of, I want my life to matter yeah. and I want to be giving my life away to something that's all-encompassing. That, and I think Reformed theology took the bits and pieces of, um, it gives you a very helpful, like, theological coat rack, so to speak. Like, people had heard a lot of true things about God, and then Reformed theology will give you a very nice little paradigm to kind of hang your hat on and say, here's how I can make sense of all the bits and pieces, yeah. theologically. I think that's helpful, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is a, this is a big God, yep. not mm-hmm. just a weekend gig. Yep. That God, that's one of the big tenets of Calvinism, that God is sovereign and that he's in charge of all these things. And when you kind of discover that, you go, whoa, God is bigger than just, oh, he handled my eternity. That's so awesome of him. It's so kind mm-hmm. of him. But that as R.C. Sproul, who I know Jen is, just loves dearly. I'm, I'm fine. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> I do. I love him so much. That, every, you know, there is not a maverick molecule in the universe. Yeah, yeah. And that's the God of, of Calvinism. So I, there's been a resurgence of that. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, I was sitting here thinking before you spoke aloud, what was already in my head, I was thinking how my introduction to R.C. Sproul was actually the holiness of God. Uh, I think for a lot of people, it probably was who are about my age. And that was when I, before I had any thoughts about Reformed theology, I became acutely aware that what I lacked was a transcendent view of God. Mm-hmm. I understood God near. I didn't understand God seated on the throne. Yeah. And uh, and that was kind of the entry point, I think, for me. And that was what uh, the Christianity of my upbringing lacked. We had been, we had, a, we were heavy on Abba Daddy God, and we were light on um, the God who thunders right. from on high. And, and you need both of those. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, I would imagine this whole discussion, a lot of the, the discussion of the tension between Calvinism and Arminianism has to do with that. And one of the trades that someone who moves from Arminianism to Calvinism can sometimes make mistakenly is that they set aside the God who is near and become mm-hmm. consumed with the God who thunders from on high. And, and, and then you could argue that the opposite is true for the Arminian. Um, and I'm speaking in, in general. Yeah, broadly, broad yeah. brushstrokes. It's fascinating to me, too, though, the timing of the neo-reform movement, because it seems to me that part of the reason for the lack of humility in this conversation is because we've entered into a time in which there is a general lack of humility in all conversations. And it feels like this happened simultaneously with the rise of sort of a cynical... um, us against them mentality right. in the culture at large. And then also I think the other interesting piece is the, the internet and social oh, yeah. media and how it, it probably shaped this movement. Oh yeah. It's the Roman roads of the, like <clears throat> it's the printing press. Yeah. It's the yeah. new medium by which to amplify the voices. Yeah. And it's like we, we handed a lot of people who felt they just had the blinders ripped off. We handed them a microphone in a large yeah. crowded room. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and, yep. So what's the, so, uh, what area of Calvinism, like when you talk about it, what's the area that people give you the most pushback on out yeah. of the five points that you right. talked about? Yeah. I mean, I think people have a sense. Yeah. We're sinners. Yeah. Um, but you got to get it more than just, yeah, I'm a sinner. I mean, that's why we should keep the word depraved is yeah. You could say, yeah, I'm a sinner. Okay. Yeah. I have broken some of God's laws. No, it's bigger than that. It's your nature mm-hmm. is jacked. Like you, you need to, you need a complete overhaul. Um, but so people go, oh, yeah, okay, I could see that. Election, you know, I don't get as much pushback about election in, anymore. And I thought I would when we were doing a series and Romans 9 was one of the passages. I was ready and to, to get some feedback about God's uh, election and sovereign choice. 
and really no, no pushback. What I did get was a lot of, I had no idea God loved me that much. Mm. And that really is kind of what Jen was saying. That's the transcendence and the eminence, the bigness and the closeness of mm-hmm. God that I think a real Calvinism does bring yeah. is that we should never, I think there's a problem in evangelicalism is that we can interpret the bigness of God as the standoffishness of God. And we should not view God that way. Mm-hmm. And election shows us, hey, before the foundation of the world, I loved you. Mm-hmm. And in fact, God is the first person that ever loved you. Mm. Like that, that shook me in high school when I was struggling with all kinds of sins, addicted to all kinds of sins. And then when I heard election for the first time, I didn't kick and scream or fight. It was, that's how much God loves this loser. Like I'm a complete loser and God loves me. And that set me on a path that I I didn't think I'd I'd ever uh, be on. Perseverance of the saints. I don't think people really argue about. I mean, at least in our circles that, hey, Jesus is going to keep you to the end. Well, praise God, because I'm not going to make it on my own. (laughs) Like, there's no way. Um, I know other people disagree with that. But what we have to hold on to with perseverance of the saints is two things. Is that it's perseverance as a saint, Mm -hmm. not as worldliness. Mm-hmm. So you got to right. you got to live the Christian life, right. and you have to endure till the end. There's a lot of ifs in the New Testament, and we can't lose those. Or woe to you, right? You know, beware, be cautious. Mm-hmm. Work yeah, yeah there's a tension there in perseverance with the saints. Yeah, and the second thing is perseverance with the saints, plural. Yep. You need to be in a church community. That's good. You got to be in the body of Christ. The the local church is the ecosystem for you to not just make it through the week, but to make it to the eschaton, yep. he- Hebrews 10. And probably one of the um, main differentiators between people who have embraced Calvinism and done it in a humble way and those <clears throat> who have embraced it and uh, where it's become more of a status symbol and they, they're kind of a jerk about it, I often find that those people also don't have a meaningful relationship in a local church. Yeah. They've not had to work through these things in a community yep. of faith. Uh, and they think every community of faith is just subpar mm-hmm. to how they understand God. Absolutely. And, that, and so I think that just amplifies part of the problem. And the irony of this theological system, and you tease this out in the book a number of different ways, is that if there's any theological system that should lead to humility, it's this one. Yeah. Right. But yet it is, it is one that can tend to lead towards pride or yeah. kind of this cage stage, which which I've experienced at O'Kyle. Yeah. Kyle, can we talk about this for a second? <laughs> oh, yeah, we have to now. Hey, wait, what, what book? What? Did, Kyle, didn't oh, you write a book? Oh, that's right. That's right. I know Kyle. Jeff wrote three, but you wrote a book. I did write a book. What book did you write? I'm not talking about my book. You need to talk about your Calvinism. book. I, Kyle. I remember the title. Um, uh, yeah. So Kyle, I want, I'm not letting you get past this. I, yeah, will, I wrote a book. What and book it was, did you It's called Pitfalls Along the Path to Young and Reformed. Oh. A much longer title than Humble Calvinism. <laughs> Why? If we're going for word count. Why I mean, honestly, here? the Just title was almost as long as the book. Right. <laughs> it was a short book. It was a short book. But I, you wrote that for this reason. Yeah, I did. I mean, because I had found a lot of issues... Uh, I mean, it came from just reflecting on journals that I mm. t- kept during college and then being like, wow, mm. I was a jerk in college about this. I had mm. to write some of those apology letters you're talking about. Uh, One of the things that always catches me, I have read a bit of Calvin, I know you have too, mm. with not just his institutes, but sermons, some of his pastoral letters, is he, he certainly was a flawed man. I'm, I'm, I'm right. not, he was a flawed man, but he was, he was also very humble. Yeah. Somebody who was dealing, I mean, he was a pastor in Geneva. He wasn't just, you know, coming up with a theological system uh, in the academy, though he was an academic, but he was, like, I've read some of his letters to women who'd lost children or, or, I mean, just the way he was interacting with his people was a way of humility, uh, deep pastoral concern. One of the, one of his points in institutes is he talks about what is the mark of a true Christian? Humility, humility, yeah. humility, or charity, yeah. charity, 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 love, mm-hmm. love, love. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yet it's something that hasn't really reflected a lot of his followers. True. Yeah, Calvin's beard would curl <laughs> yeah. right. if he knew there was a system named after him <laughs> that was dividing the body of Christ. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, Wesley, there's, there's a great story I, I tell in the book. It's Spurgeon tells a story in one of his sermons, um, and it's about Whitfield, Whitfield and Wesley. Yes. So Whitfield is asked, you know, reformed, Calvinistic, you'd say, preacher, will we see John Wesley in heaven? And these are two people who were best friends, right. mm-hmm. but one was a Calvinist and one was an Arminian. Mm-hmm. Right. So will we see Wesley, the Arminian? And Whitfield's answer, no, we won't see Wesley in heaven. And Whitfield was an actor, so you got to know he plays this up, mm-hmm. right? Long pause, you can imagine the gasp and mm-hmm. the shrieks and the horrors, boos and hisses. And then he says, the reason we won't see Wesley in heaven it's because John will be so near the throne and I will be so far in the back, mm-hmm. I won't be able to see him. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's the heart. That's humble Calvinism. That's real Calvinism. So back to like a question a while back, what's the difference between this and old school Calvinism? 
nothing. Because mm. real Calvinism is humble Calvinism. Um, we call it Calvinism because Augustinianism doesn't really roll off the tongue right. as, as well. <laughs> and we can't call it just biblical Christianity because that's not humble then. you know. So there is a, a, a marker here. Um, so I think by recovery of humble Calvinism, the real Calvinism that connects us to Christ is, is what we really, really need. And that's what I push for more in the book. I, I don't even try to defend the points. Um, other books do a much better job at that. They're going to lay out, here's a hundred verses uh, to prove this point, um, proof text after proof text, which I, I'm not after. Um, what I am after is, okay, here's the point defined and here's how it matters for your everyday life right now in the local church. Here's how this should humble you before the Lord. And here's how you should be humbled before your brothers and sisters in Christ. Like I, if someone knows limited atonement and can argue all the passages and explain how John uses cosmos and all, all that kind of stuff, but they're unwilling to serve in their children's ministry, mm-hmm. they don't understand limited atonement. That's yeah. good. Um, if they see people stacking chairs in their church plant and they turn the other way, because I don't want to stack chairs, they don't understand the heart of the atonement that we would humble ourselves and become obedient like Christ who became obedient to the point of death on a cross for us. Um, so limited atonement is the one that gets the most pushback. Yep. And well, we can talk about it if you want. I want to talk but, about it. Oh boy. Great, let's talk about it. Uh, I, so... One of the, my favorite pieces of theological literature ever written is John Owen's Death of Death and the Death of Christ, where he, he I mean, do not go read that book if you're... You no, know, you, you know. need a translator Yeah, it's a, it's a, it takes like, I feel like it took like a six months for me to read John Owen and to kind of get in his cadence and his yeah. rhythm. So do not go read that book. But there is an introduction that J.I. Packer wrote that you can actually find online to PDF if you're interested in what limited atonement is and a biblical exposition of it. I think Packer's introduction is one of the best I've ever I read. I agree with that 100%. Yeah. And so you can look that up and then you'll know whether you agree with this or not, but ultimately he's trying to make the case uh, for limited atonement. And he frames it around this idea is, and you've already kind of alluded to it, Jeff, it, did, did what Jesus did at the cross make your salvation possible or did it make it actual? Did it accomplish it? And what limited atonement would try to say is that is that what Jesus accomplished in his cross, uh, death, burial, and resurrection accomplished salvation on your yeah. behalf, not simply making it possible. In other words, it wasn't like he paid a fee that you can accept or not accept, but it's like it happened, yeah. full stop. You were saved at the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's, I think, why if you yeah. can get that message in your head, that's why people would say, oh, my goodness. Yeah. I had no idea that he loved me that much. Right. He's not giving me an offer. He's giving me a gift that's done. Yep. Yeah, it's not, oh, so Jesus didn't die for this person? Like, no, 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 that, that's not the, the, the heart of limited atonement. It's, I mean, you, you think about the language of the New Testament. It is past tense and referring to Calvary, referring to what happened at Golgotha. Mm-hmm. Christ redeemed us. It's done. Not, Jesus died for you, maybe. That, that's not the, the gospel we preach. It's not the gospel we give. It's Christ did redeem you from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for you yeah. or cursed is everyone who's, who's hanged on a tree. Yeah. And I think, um, for, for folks listening, you might be like, well, yeah, I agree with that. What's the rub? Um, or that sounds like good news. What's the rub? And just to do credit to the detractors yes, from the yes, position, absolutely. what the position is saying is that Jesus Christ's, uh, uh, death on the cross accomplished salvation. The view of the limited, limited atonement is Jesus Christ's death on the cross accomplished salvation for God's people. Mm-hmm. for the elect yeah. mm-hmm. that it did not accomplish salvation as a possibility but it actually effectively accomplished it in a way in which faith doesn't actualize that gift or faith doesn't make that gift valid that gift is valid as it it's been executed like essentially it's signed sealed and delivered yeah. for all of god's people right. for all the time yeah. post dated to 33 ad it's done it's done yeah. so um that and the uh, other and the other position would say that it wasn't postdated to 33, that that made, made salvation possible for the world. Yes. For all people. And it's faith, us believing and repenting, that actualizes the gift, that makes yeah. it then accomplished. Yeah. It's a, like, admittedly, this is a pretty complicated theological position. Mm-hmm. But I just want to note, if you're listening to it and you're like, I have no idea. Yeah, I have no idea. It, it, it is because it gets at the way that we use words, particularly mm-hmm. the way that we use words the word faith, what we mean by Jesus's death is effective or accomplished because uh, limited 
the, uh, limited atonement theologians are typically using words that sound like you're like, oh yeah, well I would agree with all of that. Right. But the other side of the position typically is the area where you have the most friction. Yeah. Where somebody's like, well, does that mean that his death wasn't effective for all of these other people? And a, and a consistent limited theologian says yes, mm-hmm. or at least not effective in the same way that it is for believers. And there's yeah. a few reasons that Owen gives and Packer gives just to uh, we, the last thing we want to do in this podcast is con- to convince you to believe in particular redemption. That's <laughs> right, not the goal no. of what we're doing. But just to, to, to kind of wrestle through some of these theological yeah. issues. The goal of this podcast is to help us think through yeah. what it looks like to, to live a humble life before God who is sovereign over all things and to interact charitably in theological conversation. But if... So what Packer walks through is it's more logical ba- logically based than yeah. it is... Uh, it certainly, I think, can be backed up biblically. But he basically says either... Uh, it, if 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 Jesus's death is unlimited and purchased salvation for all people, then one of two things is possible. Number one, we need to be universalists, right? Because Jesus's death has accomplished salvation for all people, right? And if Jesus's death is sufficient to uh, secure us from the wrath of God, to save us and draw us into communion with God, then we either need to be universalists or God is somehow unjust by allowing Jesus's death to uh, buy essentially salvation for all people if somebody still suffers in hell Mm -hmm. because that would be a double punishment for sin. Here's an analogy. Let's say Kyle owed me $10. This was the debt of sin that Kyle owed me. And Jen paid me that $10, which is what Jesus does on the cross. He substitutes himself for the debt that Kyle owed. And if I still believe that Kyle owed me that $10, even if Kyle said, or, or, or Kyle didn't recognize that Jen had given me the $10, then I would have $10 in my pocket and still want $10 from Kyle, right. which means God would be receiving a double payment for, for sin. sin. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And that's the, that's the position. Yeah. yeah. And you'd be a jerk. Yeah, I would be a jerk. It'd be for, unjust. It'd be unjust. Right. Exactly. Yep. I'm a little lost though. Kyle, do you actually owe JT ten dollars? Yeah, I owe JT way more than ten dollars. There is no doubt about it. <laughs> <laughs> if we if we if we try to settle the balance right now, I would need a substitute yeah. for sure. Right. Uh, you wouldn't I'm need out. to believe for it to be actualized. Exactly. I would Thank receive you. it. I, in faith. Gosh, okay. look, full circle. Alrighty, alrighty. Well, like, and it would limit to Tom. I mean, what you're saying, I just want to tag on real quick is that. I don't want anyone, I don't think anyone has to believe limited atonement because they feel like they have to. Of course sure. not. No. You yeah. know, like, oh, I guess it's the next logical doctrinal domino, so I have to believe it. No. Like, no, not at all. For years, I did not believe it, and I despised it because I felt like I had to, mm-hmm. but I was not convinced from Scripture. And so don't be a person that denies sola scriptura just by following the logical progression of the tulip. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, you wrestle with the scriptures and you get convinced with what God's mm-hmm. word says and then you land there. That's right. Um, and that's what happened to me just like maybe four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one faithful way right. of, right. Uh, of dealing exactly with the atonement. Right. One yeah. faithful way. I think it's a good question for us to ask who's our John Wesley? Like, who, who, who's our friend who believes vehemently in the other view and whom we have deep respect for because I think that changes the conversation. Yep. And Jeff, I want to say to you, this is, this book was a surprise to me. I don't know what I thought. I think I thought it was going to be more like what you described that you didn't want to write. This book is pastoral. And I know that's a word that gets thrown around a lot. And so I don't, I want our listeners to hear the way I use it. I don't mean that a pastor wrote it. I mean that it is addressing very real everyday concern. It's drawing everyday real implications for the things that we say when we talk about Calvinism. And I thought this is, this is the kind of thing I would want to hand to someone when they um, are evaluating Mm. what it means to be a Calvinist. And it's the kind of thing that has the potential to reshape this conversation to be a dialogue instead of just a monologue. Mm. Oh, thanks. Praise God. I mean, yeah. I, I wrote it and dedicated it uh, to all my brothers and sisters in X-29 churches all around the world because I, I wanted us to continue to teach these great truths and to do it in the way of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, that if we believe it's biblical, then we should teach it in a way that magnifies Christ. And that's really the big, I think, thrust of the book is we cannot, if we teach Calvinism without Christ at the center, it's garbage. Yeah. We should chunk it out. I know that we all in this room and hope many of the listeners, we all believe that Christ is the message of the scriptures. John five thirty nine, Luke 24, it's all about him. Yeah. And if we teach Calvinism that's not about him, 
it's not real Calvinism. Mm. Yeah. Um, who is the one that isn't totally depraved? Yeah, that's good. The, well, can I can I actually read something based? This is my yeah. favorite part of the book. Sure. And just so you can get a taste for the book. It was actually the last paragraph. Perfect. Uh, which hits this point exactly. Mm. Whether you're finishing this book as a humbled Calvinist or a still being humbled Calvinist or never going to be Calvinist Christian or an I need some time to think about this tulip Christian thing, we can all affirm what Calvin says here. And this is quoting Calvin. I love this quote from Calvin. Outside Christ, there is nothing worth knowing, close quote. Rejoice in the Lord always. Jesus over doctrine, Jesus because of doctrine, Jesus always. Christ is the center and cause of our knowing, living, and rejoicing. Live with a holy happiness in God's sovereign and sustaining grace. Spread the word about the God who is rich in mercy, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. And for those of us who are happy to be called Calvinists from now on, let's make sure we are humble and happy Calvinists. And that is such a profound last point. Like that just summarized so much of what you were trying to do. And that's my prayer also, Mm -hmm. is that the Lord would accomplish this in kind of the theological river or tradition that we run in. You want to guess where I got that Calvin quote from? Where? The Institutes. Coffee JT tweeted it. Oh, oh really? You tweeted it I tweet while it. I was I writing it. this book, and I thought, what? "Whoa, I need that." I think I texted you, like, "Dude, where is I that from?" That. Yeah, yes, I, I, just, that. I pulled up my logos, searched it, like, "Boom, I got to put this it's in." It's so good. I, I mean, that's it, why you love it. Is I, it you're the one. That well, oh, yeah. It. Well, I, the re- I, when I read that, I was like, again, I'm just reminded because it, it's that that quote is not just true when you're dealing with the theological tradition of Calvinism. That's true regardless of whatever secondary issue you're dealing with. This all, if if we don't find a way, whether you're talking about biblical authority or talking about continuation or cessationism or thinking about different styles of preaching, like whatever it might be, uh, what kind of styles of baptism or Eschatology. eschatology, like anything, we can get so caught up in issues that are important and significant that the Bible does address that we should wrestle through. But if we don't bring them back to Christ and make Christ the center of all Mm -hmm. doctrine, then we have just, I mean, John 17, three, eternal life is this, that they might know the true God and the one whom you have sent. And so drawing, I just love how you drew your argument back to the center. Christ is the center Mm -hmm. of all things. I think you're giving us an opportunity in a time when everything is a shouting match to opt out of the shouting match as the people of God and perhaps in doing so, articulate the gospel more clearly yeah. than than we have in the past fifteen or twenty years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No one, no one will be more righteous by being a Calvinist. No one will be born again by believing the points of Calvinism. Mm. Uh, only in Christ and the one who isn't totally depraved, but yet became our sin on the cross. Mm-hmm. Who we are chosen in before the foundation of the world, yeah. who died in our place, yeah. who we are drawn to by the power of the Triune God, and who holds us in His hand, and who can keep us from stumbling until the end. All the points point to a person, and it's Jesus of Nazareth. Mm. It's good. Jeff, listen, I feel like I could talk with you about, I love this stuff. I feel like I could talk with you. I'm sure listeners are like, man, I want to hear more about this. And you can, because Jeff has a book called Humble Calvinism. We heartily recommend it. You, and, you and just so you know, it it's accessible. Yeah, like it's, 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 it's not a book that if yeah. you are kind of beginning, this is the book that you should and could begin with. It's, yeah. a, it's a simplified book that I think our listeners would really appreciate. Yeah. Jeff, thank you for coming on the show, man. Oh, thank Grateful you guys. For it was it. great. Yeah, it was fun. For more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. Listen, on our next episode, we're going to be talking about a lady in the night in 2 Samuel 9 through 13. See you next time. Grace and peace.